Hello and welcome back to GMing Masterclass, Return to Rokugan with GM Jim McClure. Jim, how are you doing today, sir? I, it, it's been, what, at this point, three weeks that you haven't let me out of your basement, so I'm yes. starting to get concerned. You know, there's a little bit of chafing, but I've given you some <laughs> lotion. I keep telling you, if you put it on your skin... It'll be fine. Oh, it, it's how insistent you are that I put it on the skin. That's the <laughs> well, disturbing part. Well, it's good part. for you. You know, it's dry. It's a dry basement, so yeah. I'm doing well, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So this is going to be episode three of the GM Masterclass Return to Rokugan, where we're going to revisit the original L5R game that we played together, along with James and Caleb uh, for the One Shot Podcast. The first episode of that series took two episodes of this to get through. I don't know if it'll be the same. I'm kind of expecting it. If it does, it does. It doesn't doesn't matter to us. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to listen to the episode live and talk about it. We might uh, interject a few quips over top of it. We might stop it at some places and kind of expound on a point, uh, going in as much depth as we need. The goal here, of course, anyone who's listening will be able to kind of get into your head about what you were thinking, what you were doing, or trying to do at various points during the game. So with that, we're going to go ahead and start the audio and begin. Do dice explode on initiative? Absolutely, they do. Whoa. Uh, 18. 17. James. Uh, That is 29. Okay, and also, what stance do you all take initially? Before combat Stances. Yes. Stances. stances? Uh, Mine would be defensive. You're in defense stance? Also defense. defense. See, mine went up. I was asking a question. And when you're in stance, <laughs> you are going to add your defense skill, if you have it, plus your reflexes trait to your defense. So if you had, by chance, a defense of one and a reflex of two, your de- armor TN would go up by Stances three. were a great mechanical thing that L5R did, but just didn't execute them right. That's uh, that's for the L5R design podcast we do after. Okay. This giant creature just splashed down and it is clearly making its way directly towards you. You all are essentially on the bank. I've only got lore, theology, and shugenja, so I wouldn't know anything about a creature like this. And You've never seen anything like this before. Whether or not is a good idea to fight it or not. Um, Again, D and D. No question. No question. Kida, who has been in a lot of battles like this, I sort of glance over to him. Are we going to fight this? Is that what we're going to do? I love how uncertain he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's got you fight he, him your whole life you, it's like why not right all right all right so if that's if that's what's done uh when in rome uh so or rokugan i was waiting for someone to actually make that joke attack absolutely so you will make your you're attacking it with your katana so you're going to make your kenjutsu roll to attack it all in d10s it was 32 32 absolutely you cut him true James is not that good at math. We cut out. <laughs> I will assume that he cut out something there. Am I am I rolling damage when I attack? Am I attacking with just my katana, or you, you only get the damage from one? That that's correct. Yeah. Okay. At, at this stage, when you get higher up, you get more of those attacks. Um, but at mm. this point, just your katana. So, be so it's only adding to my defense at this point. Exactly. In my career. I got. Yep. You. Okay. And you can also throw wakazashis for weapons, so that helps, too. You always have it on hand. We're asking a lot of questions, Mm -hmm. so I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot that we need to say now, because we're saying it then, (laughs) because we don't know what we're doing. Right. Is there anything that you want to talk about, just from the standpoint of, like, teaching people rules? Um, You know, I I think it's... uh, If we want to talk about a, a teaching rules moment, I really like 
to to teach rules in play as much as possible because we can go through and I honestly don't remember we probably did went through how like combat works in the you know L5R prior to it maybe I don't, I don't know if we did or didn't I don't didn't. think so I think we had a brief talk about the the role to keep because that was right. a new mechanic for us Right but but combat especially in, in most games not just L5R it, it's really easy to teach I find by by doing I mean it, it's simple it's okay first thing we have to decide who goes first that's called initiative Here's how you roll initiative. Of course, most people that are playing games know what an initiative roll is. Yeah. You know, now it's your turn. Here's what you can do in your turn. You can attack, you can drop into a, whatever stance that you want. You can attack it, or you can do a spell, or you can do whatever you want. What do you want to do? I want to attack it. You roll this. Bam, roll dice, and everyone sort of goes, oh, I get how this whole system works. So from the teaching standpoint, I really, really like to to teach as we do because then it sticks in people's mind a lot more than if you're just going to try and teach it sort of from the beginning where it's like, okay, these I guess I understand these abstract concepts you're throwing at me. Well, and again, and this isn't necessarily the show for that type of right. type of advice, but I'll throw in the same thing. I, I'm absolutely the same way that if you sit down with someone who's never played before and you try to explain all of the rules of any game, you're not going to get them. I think it's a lot easier just to say, you're walking down the road, a, a bear jumps out. What do you want to do? I want to run away. Okay, let's roll initiative. Yep. That's a dexterity saving throw or an athletics check or whatever. I want to punch in the face. All right, that's an attack. Let them tell you what they want to do without worrying about the rules, and then you explain the rules as you go. Absolutely. So let's get back to this Oni fight. Now, also, because you have a emphasis in katana and you're using the katana you get to re-roll ones oh good only one time though okay so only absurdly complicated dice mechanic needlessly one of the complicated dice system of l5 <laughs> ah, look, there we go old gym new gym same page so that doesn't get me any advantage but the roll is pretty good and uh exploding it, absolutely it does oh because of that's exploding always a fun mechanic. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, hey, exploding dice is great. 28 points of damage you deal to so, him. And just real quick, take a look at your own HP and see if another samurai would have done that to do how far you would have been down. So that's one of the things I wanted to call out. Yeah, why did I do that? You, Don't do that. Yeah, you Don't specifically were like, okay, you would have just killed yourself if you would have hit yourself with a sword. So again, I'm, I'm going to assume I'm Jim for a minute. Okay. You want us to have a duel. We need to understand that dueling is to the death. It certainly can be. It's very deadly and by showing us right off the bat that whenever we attack something, we probably would kill ourselves, whether you meant to or not, that reinforced how deadly this game is. And I, I think, I hope past Jim, because present Jim don't went, why in the world did I stop the action for that nonsense? But that is actually a, a very good point. I mean, and that's part of what I, I, I think I was, I'm sure, trying to get across on that, that uh, situation there is to understand, because especially this is a game too, and, and I don't know if in the next seconds of audio I'm going to explain it or not, but what occurs in L5R is when you hit zero hit points, you're dead. You are bringing a new character sheet to the table. I just go through their pockets looking for loose chains dead. Right. <laughs> Don't you lose that honor. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, and that is a stark contrast to most every other tabletop game that you play. You know, every, every version of D&D has some form of death and dying throw, you know, once you hit zero hit points. Most every game that has, you know, this this style of, you know, hit point combat, um, you know, has that concept to it. L5R does 
not. L5R is a, whew, you are done and dead. And James rolled 28 damage, which is a really high damage roll. So pointing that out is sort of like a, yeah, you starting out have whatever it is, 32 hit points or something like that. If you got hit with that, you were four hit points away from ripping up your character sheet. Uh, this is the system that we're playing in. It is hyper lethal. So we will give old Jim the benefit that that is what you were I doing. will. Man, I, I'm making myself sound good. You made me sound good in retrospect, yeah. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> well, you definitely would have hit. You would be all the way down in that wounded rank. Oh, my goodness. I'd be crippled. That, that, that's how lethal the system is, by the way. And you had a real good strike. But describe to me how you're cutting into this beast. Because uh, it's, it's in the water. You're up above it right now on the shoreline. Okay, so it's in the water. Right so another thing. Oh, Again, this is something I know we've talked about before. But we had the mechanical role, mm-hmm. and we applied damage. But then you said, okay, tell me what that looks like. We still narratively re-described the mechanics of the game narratively, and like you know, basically we role-played out there. You gave James the opportunity, and important, you told James to do it. You didn't do it. Absolutely. And and that comes into the... All right, f- follow me here on this, okay? All right. All right. Take me on a journey, Jim. Tell me... I, I know you're going to be in shock and awe, okay? And this, the thing I'm about to say to you is just going to, to have so much expression on your face. Blow my mind. 28. Shocking, right? Like, that number is just, oh, my God. Of course not. No one cares about numbers. Numbers are not impressive. Numbers don't make things interesting. Numbers don't make things memorable. What does is the scene. You know, what what James is about to describe, it's actually one of the vivid scenes. There's probably about a dozen of them, and and we're going to get into, well, the last episode, one of the ones you gave me, Michael. But uh, there's a couple vivid scenes, and this attack, what he's about to describe, is one of the few that I have. Not one of the few, one of the many. I mean, a dozen's great. You know, that I have from playing this and the narrative that he describes of he made an awesome attack mechanically. We established that. But 28 doesn't make me have a memory of this thing from two years ago. His description doesn't. It's the same thing with anything else at the game table. The more we can get creative, the more we can get expressive, the more the players get involved with that, the more everyone enjoys the story. So I'm, I'm very big on encouraging that even through you know direct encouragement me telling james describe for me what happened you're on top of the bank he's down in the river you made an awesome attack give me that picture and i'll give a a small counter that in a game like DD that i'm more familiar with if i'm fighting an ogre because that's somewhat of an equivalent i have an idea of how many hit points an ogre has so if I do like 75 points of damage, I know, wow, I just did maybe enough to kill it, certainly enough to really, really hurt it. We have no idea how many right. hit points an Oni has, so the 28 really is meaningless to us. I mean, we don't even know if it has hit points, which we will get to in a moment, but I had no reference. I, that, that really doesn't mean anything. But again, to some people, if they play a very combat-heavy game, tactical game, then rolling a really high number could mean something, but they still have to know what it means. And right. we don't have that here so even if we were that type of player, it's still meaningless until we take a peek at the monster. Towards us. Um, kind of waiting. Fat. Before either of them can think, like, they get a little bit defensive. They get their hands on their swords. My swords, uh, both my sword and my wakizashi are drawn, and I am running towards it. Uh, there's no battle cry. Uh, you sort of hear... Uh, faintly beneath the thundering splashes of the beast, uh, the clopping of my uh, sandals against the earth, and then I rush directly into a wave that washes over me, and for a second, 
you don't see me. And then the sort of lesionous wounds on the creature appear to grow greater and blood spills out and I am in the water behind it shaking the blood off my katana. Love it. The, the, the Oni gives out just a wail. And of course, Hida, you immediately recognize this thing as an Oni. Um, gives a wail from the pain. And it stumbles back a couple... He steps. edited out my sound effect. Mouth below the water and come up... I forgot and... that. I did horrific sounds that I'm sure destroyed clipping the microphone terribly. Of you, Morimoto, literally washing you down. Oh, no. Tony, no. You need to make a stamina roll for me. So just straight roll and keep the same number as whatever your stamina stat is. 22. 22. Uh, you don't take any damage and you resist the force of it to try and knock you down and sweep you into the river, but you are coated in thick, sticky, just congealed blood. So an interesting thing just occurred, okay? That is, it became the Oni's turn after it got cut for 28 damage, okay. right? And it made an attack. And, and, and I want to point out, this is going to be some advice for running combats. You know, we have a very big, intimidating, powerful creature. If you look at the Onis in the L5R books, they are very, very powerful things. And it took its turn. I talked over it a little bit, but what it did was essentially it scooped up a bunch of water in its mouth and it dumped it on Miramoto. Uh, I was going to say James's character. Trying to try and keep calling their character yeah. names. Dumped it on Miramoto and tried to wash him down into the river. Okay, that is, uh, you know, I think a, a strong visual. I think that's a strong component. Like, this is a big, huge, powerful thing. It's scooping up the river into its mouth and dumping it. But it's it. not the most effective attack. It's it nothing. Taken. It is absolutely nothing. Right. Uh, you know, it is literally he did an attack that had a knockdown effect with zero damage. That was it. You can make combat encounters. I'm very big on this. I, as a GM running combat, you can always scale combat however you want, up and down, based on what you choose to have the creatures do. They don't always have to do the best thing mechanically. In this case, it was the worst thing. He's in three-on-one fight. He's way down on action economy already. He's going to get beat up super quick, and he takes his first action to do a knockdown effect. You know what happens if it would have succeeded? He would have been knocked down. He would just had to spend his next turn getting back up. Wow, that is impressive. Right. But within the narrative of what's occurring, that was an intimidating thing for the creature to do. So I want to take the time to point that out of you don't always, when you're thinking about the strategy of your creatures, especially if you're doing big boss-type creatures and you're worried, oh, maybe it's a little bit too powerful, you can always nerf it sort of on your own without people seeing it. Don't have to adjust any dice rolls behind the scenes. Don't have to adjust any stats. It's just he did an attack that had a knockdown effect, and that was it. And yet it seemed very dangerous and impressive. And to to jump on that, I, I I think at some point in time you and I are probably going to have a conversation about fudging die rolls. We're going to have that very soon. Yeah, but we're not going to do it at the second. But I do definitely want to hit on what you said that you can make decisions behind the screen that have essentially the same effect without actually fudging a die. Because for mm -hmm. for some people that is a line no one should cross, DM mm -hmm. or not. So if you do believe that fudging dice at all is sac you know sacrosanct, you do not do that, fine. But you can still make bad tactical decisions. For all we know, there might have been a second Oni that could have shown up. Like if we wore this one out really quickly, it shows up. Maybe it just doesn't show up because the battle's going poorly. Or maybe there was never supposed to be a second one, but now there is mm -hmm. because the fight isn't giving us what we want. It's not making us feel at the table what the DM wants us to feel.
in my mind, all of that is fudging. So they're all equal. There's so much you can do without actually rolling a dice and just ignoring the result to still make the battle go in different ways and ebbs and flows. And for me, that's the point of combat. I know for other people, it's not. You know, some people, they enjoy that tactical aspect and that's what they find fun. For me, it's the story. So combat is there for a reason. That reason is to make me feel a certain way. Bingo. And this fight made me feel a certain way. So it was completely successful, irregardless of what roles had did happen or didn't happen or meant something or didn't mean anything. Absolutely. And I just actually want to retouch on the point that you retouched on okay. um, of, of that. Always, always, always. You have to keep in mind why is this combat occurring? You know, again, we, we've talked about this throughout the previous two episodes. Of you know, I'm I'm big on no wasted motion in my story. We're not doing a combat just to be doing a combat. We're doing a combat to gain information, to reinforce a theme, to set up something that's going to happen later. Uh, this combat is going to be directly tied to our final fight with Daigotsu Jin. It's just not apparent at this point yet as far as how it's going to do that. So I have that in my mind as the GM running this of what am I trying to get across? Well, I'm trying to get across the information of here is the thing that damned the river. We saw that from the rocks flowing that we talked about last episode. It is a really big, powerful thing. We see this from its size. We see this from its intimidation. We see this from its attacks. All of these are big, huge, intimidating things. And then we talk about it's got the the Crab Clan armor on it, that clearly this was a Crab Clan samurai at some point in a, might as well call it, past life. And that is our our story thread in our, our dual stacking plot. In all of those things, what do I did I not mention as far as this combat? A mechanical challenge. This combat's not about a mechanical challenge. That's the last possible thing this combat's about. This combat's about all of these other elements to it. It's about establishing there's a little bit of danger in the world. It's about establishing relative power levels, which will come into into effect with Daigotsu Jin later. It's establishing information for the game that or for the uh, the story that we're playing through. That's what it's about. A life or death struggle. This isn't. And know that because some combats will want to be a life or death struggle. Absolutely. Uh, But that's not what this one is. And honestly, I think a lot of combats aren't life and death struggles. And you need to really understand and be thinking about that as a GM. When I go into this combat, what do I want this combat to do? And if you know that, you'll know what direction to go with it. I'm a big believer that combat should be story. Mm -hmm. They are not separate. So you have an R, you have a P and a G. And there should not be a line between those two. So story is combat, combat is story, role play during combat, combat is still time to role play. That's the way I prefer to play and run games. Absolutely. All right. Let's see if we can finish this Oni off. Haruma, this all just happened in front of you. Yes. Um, so I would take like a half step over in front of Hida, thinking for protection of him first. And then uh, since I used the Yumi. Very brave of you. Go ahead and use that if I could. Okay. But I can't because I use defensive stance. Bingo. But I didn't know that. Yep. Turn when you can change your stance. Okay. So you are sitting on guard, sort of protecting, is readying your defense weapon. Full defense? Or? Def- if you I, use full defense, you can't move. Yeah, it is your I just said thing. defense. I didn't say full defense. Regular defense. Yeah. Or spellcaster. Similar situation. You can't use offensive magic because you're in defense stance. Well, 
obviously I would know immediately what this creature is. Yes. I would have seen it in battle, I'm sure. Um, you, 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 you've seen, yes, yeah, similar, they, they jokingly call them, um, the, the, the hungry dead, and there's an official Oni name that I should have written down. Um, but the, uh, the, the, they're known for, uh, devouring samurai, and every samurai they devour, it traps their soul within the body, and those are the faces that you see circling around. Japanese body horror. Can I <laughs> cast a, what would be a support spell in a defensive stance? Yes, stamp? you can. It's not a directly offensive. No spell. offensive, but you can cast defensive. Uh, well then, okay, so mechanically here, I want to cast Fires of Purity on Miramoto. Okay. So to do that, you're going to make a, it is a level one spell, which Mm -hmm. means the target number successfully casted is 10. Okay. So you're going to make your fire spell casting roll. If you go higher than 10, the spell succeeds. Lower than 10, it fails. So that's a 13. 13 is enough, and it succeeds. So what does your spell do? Oh, I could have lowered the amount you needed to succeed anyway. That's a special ability of my special abilities. Uh, Let's talk about this for a second. Okay. There's a point I want to touch on on this, and it it came from me being mean to Michael. Okay. So he went into defensive stance. I know he's an archer. I didn't tell him anything different. Came your turn. Couldn't do anything. You couldn't do anything. Okay. Yes, that sucks. Okay. I understand that. There was a reason it happened that way. Okay. Okay. And that is uh, when we're talking about. You know, this, this is a teaching moment. This is a, you know, at, at its core, you know, the story that we're listening to right now, or the, I'm sorry, the game we're listening to right now is a GM teaching three new players how to play a system none of them have played before. You know, from a GM standpoint, that's what we're doing right now. And one of the things that I think a lot of people do that adds extra confusion to teaching new players a new system is they keep trying to discuss strategy. We'll do this because X, Y, Z. I think that makes things more difficult for people to learn. What I like to do is, here are your options. Do them and explore what the results thereof. Because in this scene, what happened is Miramoto went into attack stance. Uh, our two crab clan samurai dropped into defense stance. Y'all didn't have a clue what that did. No. You just were like, it's thing attacking me. Defense sounds good. Yeah, Miramoto's yeah. like, I have two swords. Attack sounds good. Miramoto gets to attack, learns what that is. It then gets to Michael's turn, and we go, okay, you're in defense stance. You can only do defensive behaviors. What's the difference between that and full defense? Well, full defense doesn't even let you move. Defense stance, you can still move. You just can't do anything offensive. Oh, okay. Well, that kind of sucks. So then it goes on to Caleb. Caleb's like, well, I'm in defensive too, but I've got spells that I can cast. Now I understand what's happening from my standpoint as a uh, Caleb as a spellcaster of I can now cast offensive magic if I'm in attack stance or if I'm in defensive stance, I can have bonus defense and be able to cast support magic. We've played one round of combat and now immediately all three of our players understand the consequences and the results of having the different stances. If I were to try and explain to you the strategy of it, again, we're front-loading a whole bunch of information that goes like, that's just a lot to understand and know. There is the reality of it, which there could have been a point of pain for the character of Michael of, I wanted to do something, I wasn't told that I was nixing my ability to do that, Hmm. which may be true. But I think my personal opinion on it is I try to avoid discussing strategy of why you should do something until you have a basic understanding of how things work. So in the moment, there was a little bit of, huh, and I I think you can even hear it in the audio. I was clearly like, but I didn't know that couple things and we'll get to sure. that is one i was never in any mortal danger in this this right. battle i wasn't going to die so that 
screw you, you moment was not going to cost me my character. Secondly, I still got to go as well. The character did the the bad guy didn't die before it was my turn again, so I also wasn't left out of the battle, which also would have sucked. So both of those things would have made that more of a sour taste in my mouth, but because neither of those two things happened, and Jim's grinning like an idiot over there. Um, We're going to discuss it, just it, this topic in right. about five minutes. It, uh, it softened it a little bit to the point that it was gone after that moment. But Thank yeah, you. in that moment when you're like, you can't do anything, I was like, well, I didn't, you know, I was kind of bummed. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We want to talk about advanced techniques. Causing pain on a player for a specific reason is not a technique I would ever do lightly, but there are times and situations where it can be appropriate. And we'll talk about how we then recover from that in the next five minutes. Hida would not even react to seeing the Oni. He would steal his gaze, drawing from his experience on the battlefield. His hand would flash in a, a series of folding his fingers in a different pattern, uh, and there would be a um, an orange glow that would emanate around his fingers and skip through the air, uh, wrapping around Miramoto. You wouldn't feel heat, mm-hmm. but you would feel the spell energy wrapping around you, and you would sense that the fire spirits are endeavoring to protect you in this battle. When they wrap around me, like I was a little bit tired, a little bit shocked by the blood, but as soon as I feel... I do love Caleb's description there. That warmth warmth coming through. I'm ready for... I like to think, too, there's almost like a little bit of smoke that sort of takes almost like a dragon form behind you. Uh, Michael interjecting himself in the scenes where he doesn't need to be. Dragon. Nice. We're going to have that shirt made for you. <laughs> I do. That needs to be a shirt. Okay. Centering allows you... Yeah, I can't take actions, but next turn adds to my initiative, which I don't need. And adds to your attack roll. Plus, plus void ring. 1k, 1 plus your void ring of 2. So 1k, 1 plus 2 to the total of an attack roll. Okay, so yeah, I take a moment to... Well, what does your spell do? Um, anyone in you can't con- just enjoy the magic of Kami around you? I, you know, that's... <laughs> Shut up, Jim. More power it's, to it's it. Re- basically, I'm Dazzler. Right okay. now, it's just a little bit of a light show. Um, no, any, it, it says here, anyone in contact or attacking the target takes 2k2 damage. Okay. So you you have a fire shield. Interesting. Cool. Um, yeah, then I will take uh, uh, this opportunity to center myself and prepare for another blow. Okay. With, with that, the big Oni puts one hand on the shore, puts the other hand on the shore, pushes himself up, so now he's standing, towering directly above you. Mm-hmm. You see that the two gashes from your sword and blood just flowing down the front of him from that. He, again, gives out a great big wail. And he balls up his fist and just swings it down at you. What is your armor, TN? My armor, uh, when not in defense uh, mode, is 27. 27. Damn it. He hits you. Damn it! And he hits you. That's some fast math there, Jim. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Editing. Editing. Editing, yeah. For 10 points of damage. Okay. As his hand comes straight down and just... Right on top of your head. So zero right now. But... Mopping you. The um, And you are still in the healthy, and not to one more till you get the nicked, and then all the TNs go up. Right. Um, I'm trying to figure out how he got to 27 defense. You see this flash of fire in front of you mm-hmm. as two fire commies sort of leap off of you and just run up and down him, burning him. Go ahead and, uh, yeah, roll me that 2k2 damage. 14. 14 points of damage searing him. I wish that exploded. 
Me too. And, and, and he recoils back enough so that, that one of his feet steps back into the lake and he sort of sits back down. Um, his arms are dropped to the side. He's still clearly active, um, but he's kind of opened up his chest and, and you start to see, um, that he does have some like broken armor that was kind of there it on is. him at one point. And you notice up sort of almost on his shoulder, it was residing over his chest. There is a family mon and it's a mon of the Hita family of the crab. Haruma, it's your turn. Alrighty. Not just the crab, but the Hida family. Of Hida family. So I've got my Yumi out, and I'm kind of like... Nice. I'm not doing the centering stance, but I'm like centering myself, calming, removing every all the distractions. All I see is myself and this Oni in front of me, and so that my arrow will fly true. Uh, aiming for the throat. It's perfect. The, the, the art of the bow in Rokugan is that you don't actually aim the arrow. You try to do as much as you can not to influence it because the arrow knows the way. And you only <laughs> miss if you put too much influence on it. Alrighty, so I roll a lot of dice in this situation, and I keep four of them. So That's eight, really good. 18 plus 16, 34. 34, absolutely. You catch him square in the throat. We're going to talk about absolutely in a second, too. My flesh cutter arrow. Flesh cutter. It says two keep three. Yep, and then you add the strength of your bow to it, which is three KO. Yes. To give you a five K three. Five K three. Okie dokie. Crazy mechanics. (laughs) Perfect mechanics. Except for all the places that they're wrong. Eighteen plus eighteen, thirty-six points of damage. Thirty-six points of damage. There we go. Lord. As it's Sticks in his throat. And again, think about it. That's almost dead for one of y'all in one hit. Um, Sticks in the throat. And and he literally, his back foot slips again. So he falls and he hits neck first on the the edge. And it rams the arrow all the way straight through him. His fat neck sort of flops back up. And he's still trying to scramble onto shore. Hida. I thought that was a killing blow. I thought it was too. Switches to the attack stance as fury overtakes him at seeing this horrid oni spirit uh, possessing the body of one of his fallen family members. Um, out of game here, I'm going to assume I can use Jade Strike successfully. Uh, you can, If it fails, all it does is go dazzle and sparkles. But yes, if, right. if the creature is perhaps tainted, it will deal damage <laughs> to them. Now, mechanically, would there be a way for me to assess that prior to... Wasting um, the spell slot, essentially? Generally not. Most of the time you all are, are teamed up with, say, Cooney Witch Hunters that have techniques that determine this kind of gotcha. stuff. Um, almost like a plan was in place. We miss you, Cat. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Small shout out to Cat. Hida is pretty darn angry right now. So I'm going to go ahead and cast that spell. Um, I still start with um, an Earth Yep. Sp- Whoa, and and it's a rank whoa. one technique, so again, your TN is only ten. Um, but it says essentially six keep four. Yep. It hit a target number of ten. I hope you can pull it off. Is there any reason to get like a super crazy high number? Yes, we didn't talk at all about raises oh. to keep it simple. Okay, next time. Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Um, absolutely. The the, the blast of, of emerald energy flies forward, hits, and starts searing his skin off, and then it'll have a straight damage. I think it's three K three. Three K three. Would that have a boost for me? Nope. It's just of? straight. Okay. It's just straight spell damage. You can actually do raises, which makes the task more difficult for additional damage. Um, that would be eighteen. Eighteen points of damage as as you hit him, and it just sort of the hole that had already been opened up in the throat just sears open more, and more black blood just sort of 
flows out, and he finally stops moving and sinks down into the water. And he goes down a little bit, and you see sort of his body get caught on the rock dam. That has now changed direction. We are out of combat. Okay. Jim, let's talk about combat. Uh, we got a few different things to talk about on this. Um, All right. The first thing I want to point out is you heard me say absolutely like five or six different yeah, times. Yeah. Okay, uh, this is a a very specific strategy, and that is I call it cheerleading your players. Okay, which even though I'm sitting at a table with you know very experienced role players at this point, what I'm trying to do is I as the GM sort of have this default weird authority figure. Uh, you know, which is he's the guy that has all the answers to all of our questions. Okay, it's a natural dynamic that happens at the table. If I want my my players role-playing, if I want them engaging, I need to be giving them positive reinforcement when they do what I want them to do. And in this case, what I want them to do is enjoy the damn game, okay? <laughs> so it's it's an honorable, honorable pursuit, right? So anytime that they do something that's going to encourage that, what I do is I cheerlead them. I give them a verbal, yes, that's awesome, that's amazing, I love that, because from the authority figure at the table telling you you are doing a good job, it feels good. Additionally, your talents of when you go, oh, I made a good joke, or oh, that was a good scene, or oh, I look so badass when I did that, you have that like feeling in your own mind when it gets verbally reinforced to you. Suddenly it's like, yeah, no, I, I am right. That that was good. I would like that feeling again. Yes. Give me that hit of dopamine yes, again. Yes, please me. I have another. Yes, exactly. So if you if you cheerlead your players, um, what you're doing is, is that is a really good, easy way to reinforce the behaviors that you want. You know, when they give that good description, awesome, that was a Amazing when they roll high! Holy crap, that was crazy. Uh, those little things go a long, long way to uh, to getting people to engage with the game and the story that you're doing. And I would uh, touch on that. And again, this is something I know we've we've mentioned in other episodes that if you are the type of DM that does allow players to add details to the world as far as world building or just describe combat or describe skill checks, you need to be encouraging, even if they maybe don't do it as good as you would have yep. done it. Bingo. You still say, oh, great, that's awesome, I love that. Don't say, that wasn't very good. Or don't go, no, 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 this is what happens. And override it. No, do not do not do that. Yep. Uh, if you want to take what they do and maybe add a little bit to it, maybe twist it a little bit, and even that's a little bit iffy. Right. But don't. if you ask a question, don't ignore the answer. Exactly, exactly. I'll go with it and encourage it because, and, and this point is especially important if you're dealing with new players or timid players because they don't know enough to, they don't know how to verbalize the questions that they want. They know they want to have a good time. They have those feelings when they are having a good time, but everything is so uncertain to them. And, you know, they're, they may come up with the idea of, well, hey, wouldn't it be cool? What if the town mayor was actually evil? And, of course, if we've all played tabletop for years and years, it's like, well, yeah, of course he is. He's the mayor, you know. It, right. <laughs> it, it, it's like saying that the local priest is evil. Like, of course he is. That's that's what they're there for. What you mean the kindly old priest who always gives food to the urchins? Right. On He's behind everything. Right. Oh my god. The quest giver turned on us when we got back. That is so <laughs> insane. I could have never thought of that. Yeah. Uh, but. Anytime you hear, you know, if you're getting that kind of engagement, it means they're trying to interact. And what you need to do is you need to encourage it because the more they do it, the more comfortable they're going to get with it. And it's going to turn them into a better player and it's going to allow everyone else to have a better time around the table. Well, and it also it celebrates the player. And mm -hmm. I know this is a big thing from like Dungeon World, but the DM should be a fan of the players. Yes. And this is clearly, like you said, cheerleading lets us know whose side you're on. Yep. When you're like, oh, crap, I can't believe you took out my Oni. 
that's adversarial. Yes. If you're like, oh, that's awesome. You took him out so quick. That's cheerleading. You're on our side. We're all in it together. And the other thing you can do, too, uh, that you saw a little bit is is reinforce the actions that the players did. You know, uh, we, we saw the Oni when he rose up from the water. He had two big cuts that were just bleeding blood out of him. You know, the arrow that flew stuck in his throat. And then when he got hit back, he fell and hit throat first onto that arrow again. And it's like the, oh, it's so rough. And I did that. <laughs> yeah. You know, just those little reinforcements to, to kind of go to the characters and like, yes, the things you are doing are mattering in the fiction reinforce those kinds of concepts as many times as possible through play. Okay, so all of that out of the way, let's talk about some mechanical... Let's talk about mechanics. I don't think you had a character sheet for that. (laughs) I don't think you did any math. I think every time you rolled the dice, it was just to make noise. You are... uh... A genius, sir. No, um, no, no. <laughs> okay, uh, this is this is the part where where the the RPG Academy and Jim McClure get hate mail. Okay, uh, let's let's reveal some secrets and let's talk about some concepts here. Absolutely, okay. we're here to get into your mindset, whether we agree or disagree. Exactly, we want to know what you were thinking and why you did what you did. And I want to strongly, strongly preface this point. This is Jim McClure, GM Jim McClure at Twitter. You can send all your hate mail there because it's only 140 <laughs> characters. Uh, this is my opinion. This is what I do, and this is why I do it. This is by no means I'm saying the correct way, but this is my way. Okay? You're absolutely correct. The And we haven't discussed it yet, and obviously you can't tell on the audio, but D'Amato was even, I think, a little bit taken aback when we first started setting up to start this recording of, I plopped a GM screen down, and I'm going to make all my rolls behind the GM screen, and all of my papers are behind the GM screen, and you all, unless you were peeking over it, couldn't see what there was. But the reality is, there was very, very, very little behind that GM screen. Uh, this Oni that we just fought, you know, had had no stats at all, non-existent. The dice rolls, non-existent. I picked them up, dropped them, and said whatever numbers I felt like saying. So why? Why do we do this? To start with, uh, I want to emphasize the point, because this series does display this well, just because you're making it up behind the screen doesn't mean it's going to have any less impact when he rolled that big attack and it missed on James, actually James rolled his own dice on that, but when he did the big hand coming down and it hit James for 10 points of damage, there is literally no difference in the feel whether those were actually the dice rolled or whether I just said those were the dice rolled. Likewise, how many hit points did that thing have? I don't have a clue. It died when I narratively thought that it should die. And the reason being, it goes back to the why are we doing this combat? This is not a challenge of life or death. Those can certainly occur. And, and those play, in my opinion, by a little bit different rules. If I'm going to put a bad guy against the players that I think there is a 50-50, they're going to lose or it's going, you know, or it's going to lose, one side's going to win, you know, at that point, being quote-unquote fair, the fairness of the dice have more at stake. What we are doing, though, is we are establishing concepts, and that is all that matters to this story. We're trying to establish that this thing is big and powerful. Did I establish that it's big and powerful by doing a bunch of damage? It did 10 points of damage, and you all did well over 100 to it. But did it still feel big and intimidating? Yes, because its attacks were very narrative-based. It it reinforced the concepts that we were going for. The next thing, we talked about it a little bit. Michael, you got cheated in the first round of combat, um, and the GM could have prevented you from doing that action, and he didn't. 
So how long did that creature need to live? Long enough to reinforce the concepts and for everyone to have fun engaging with their character. Everyone got to feel like the badass, okay? D'Amato got to do his big cut in the water. He'd have got to do his defensive spell and then have ultimately the final kill. You got to have your shot, which is the thing that really put the thing down as it, as it went into its throat and it went back. If we did the first round and then D'Amato decided to attack again, if Morimoto decided to attack again and slain it at that point... Would you, Michael, would have, have had a, a good different. combat? Good at no, combat? No, I would not. You wouldn't have. Would Caleb have? All he did was get a cast a defensive spell. D'Amato's the one who killed it in two hits. It would not nearly have been as narratively satisfying. So what made it satisfying was me as the GM going, here is how long it's going to last. Here is when it's going to die. Now, you of course, you can only take that so far. If Caleb's last attack there would have, honestly, heaven forbid, missed... It's still a miss. He was still probably going to die on the next attack because it's not worth it to cycle it all the way back around because it's already established its its narrative points. But you can do quite a bit on the back end and just decide what you want. And ultimately, uh, with, with this Oni and with other things in this game, it was just hocus pocus behind the screens and me picking up dice and going, hmm, 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 27, uh, no matter what was actually down there on the table. And... I am a big proponent of that because we are here to tell an interesting, engaging story. And what we want is to have an interesting, engaging story. Dice is the G part of the game, and it's certainly part of it, and it should be part of it. But I don't believe that the dice should ever get in the way of the fun. I agree with you. Wow, I did not expect it. No, uh, (laughs) I'm definitely on the record as I'm a pro-fudge DM. And as I kind of alluded to earlier, to me, there is no difference in rolling a D20 and as I'm rolling it thinking, this would be better if it misses and then just saying it misses or I think this would be better if it hits and just saying it hits because the whole point of me being on the other side is to help tell a good story. I'm, I'll, we're all on the same team and I, I think that a lot of people who have a very strict anti-dice fudging belief They've probably had bad experiences with Mm -hmm. an us versus them DM who would cheat to make sure that what they wanted to have happened, happened. Mm -hmm. And what I have experienced is most of the time I just go by the dice. I'd say 99, easily 99% of the time I go by what the dice say and I'll, I'll change things other ways. Again, I won't have reinforcements or I'll make bad combat decisions or whatever the case may be. But it's usually not until I'm actually rolling the dice that I have an idea of, oh, This would be great if. So it's not like before the game even started, I wrote out and said, okay, on the fourth turn, the dragon is going to capture the princess and fly away. And no matter what happens, that's what's going to happen. PCs cannot change that. That is not fun for me. I don't want to do that. But in the moment, as I'm rolling the dice, I consider myself a creative person. I DM a lot. I have what I think are good ideas. And so I will override the dice if I think it's more fun. But that's more fun for the table, not for me. I'm never going to cheat, quote, cheat, to harm the players. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to kill a character or punish a character, but I might cheat to give them a good moment. And that moment could be tragedy. Mm -hmm. It's just, but they're going to get a moment from it. And that's for me, that's why I'm completely okay with that, but I still only do it every now and then. This battle was a complete fabrication. Totally. But the reason it worked is we had no idea... Like, we've never played the game before. 
If I've already fought 14 Oni and I know how tough an Oni is, you couldn't have got away with that. If you're playing D&D with people who play D&D all the time and your goblins suddenly have 47 hit points because they keep killing them instantly, they're going to know you did that. Or if your storm giant gets taken out after 13 hit, you know, damage, they're going to know that. So even though I'm very open about the fact that I will fudge a die, I'm never going to let the players know when I do it. And the couple points leading from that, too, is is one, I want to echo that statement a lot. You know, the only reason that I am now telling, you know, you, Michael, this and the rest of the world and, and, and hint, hint, I told Michael this before we got on and talked about this section. He didn't psychically figure this one out. <laughs> it's, it's like watching The Sixth Sense, though. I, listening back, I'm like, I'm picking up on things, especially at 27, because that was bullshit. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't an edit there. It was just 27. 27. Like, I'm just uh, that quick at math. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, you know, wh- one of the things is, you know, the literally the only reason that, that it is being brought up now is solely because we are doing this as an educational reason. I have been playing and game mastering that way for a very, very long time. And my regular group, unless they listen to this, but they don't listen to my podcast, terrible people, um, they have no idea that I fudge die rolls. They 100% believe to this day all my dice rolls are genuine. And why? Because I never, ever, ever, ever address it. If I'm going to hide it behind the GM screen, it is going to stay behind the GM screen. You know, there's some sort of smoke and magic that we want. Uh, you know, it's it's going and seeing a magician, okay? You can reveal the secrets if you really, really want to and appease that curiosity, and then every magician show from that point forward is boring to you. Well, and, and I, this is this is a, an argument that I've had before. Mm-hmm. That and that's one of the examples I've used. When I go to see a magician, because I I do love magic, I know they're tricking me. Yep. I don't actually believe that they are doing magic, but I'm okay with it because it's entertaining and I have a good time. And I feel the same way about doing it. And I get something like a joke. If I say, you know, I was in the woods the other day and this bear jumped out. I wasn't really in the woods. There really wasn't a bear. But I'm telling you a joke. And if the payoff is funny, you'll forgive me that falsehood absolutely if the game is fun i don't freaking care how you made it fun because that's what we're here to do we're we're, we're not here to to listen to the great arbiter of the dice we are here to have a good time we are here to have an interesting engaging experience we are here to take part in the highest form of art known to mankind. mankind I finally got it in there. Um, that's what we're here to do. Uh, you know, my my sort of stance on on dice rolls, and then again extrapolating out to the further of I didn't just fudge dice rolls here. I literally nothing existed behind the screen other than narratively what I wanted to get across in this fight. When I'm changing something behind the screen, I'm always doing it. I change a dice roll because I want every dice roll to be interesting. It's the boring ones that need to, in my opinion, need to get changed and curated. We we, we had this brief conversation before, and, and it's you, you said this, Mike. I think it's the most genius lines ever came out of your mouth, and that is the it's uh, a low bar. In, no, and I, <laughs> <laughs> the dice rolls are the first draft. The GM is the editor. I want to post that on billboards if I had that kind of money um, because I think that's completely true. It, it is a tool. It's a dynamic, interesting tool. It's an arbiter of fairness to a degree, but it's a first draft. If they end up being super boring or super unfair, I've played D&D games where four times in a row I rolled 20s for the bad guys, you know, 
A, the players would not believe it. It actually <laughs> happened, but I changed it because it was like, well, these things shouldn't be obliterating us, but if I always roll 20, then they're going to. Of right. course they are. We change to make it interesting. If you change to give an advantage to the DM, an unfair advantage to it, and cheat the experience that way, that's when it becomes problematic. I completely agree. And then it's kind of the last word, and then we can move on. As you said before, in your mind, we are building to a duel between Miramoto and Haruma. Yeah, at this point. If that happens... Those are dice rolls are all going to count. Yep. Because it's the two players making them. The DM has no say so. So when it matters, all of the dice will matter. Because the, the idea is to get us to a point that no matter who wins, it's still an awesome moment. Bingo. Yep. Exactly. It's like I've done this before. <laughs> you should GM, man. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't, I think it's dumb. Uh, I. <sighs> He does. immediately okay? cleaned my sword in the river. <laughs> and, the, your, and yourself. You're yeah. a little gross you, on you, you, you have to make another roll. Yeah. Um, because when you get in contact with, with things that have the Shadowlands taint, you have the possibility of contracting it. Indeed. So I downplay that word taint. When you come in contact with the Shadowlands taint. That's <laughs> not the numbers you want to see. Uh, 14. 14, okay. You don't have to adjust your character sheet. <laughs> Failed threat. <laughs> so, with that, the three of you are... Oh, over threat, really? Right. Head from a fat fist. The rest of you are relatively okay, and there's a body of an oni that has been stabbed and cut and broken and that's now lodged itself mostly underwater but partially on the dam. Can, can I move it out of the river? Would you like to go down and mess with the body? Uh, that's a good question. Right. And now we see the players learning the system. Is there a method for moving these? I do not believe the water of the river would serve to have corruption flowing Smart down. Smart man. Yes, we risk corrupting everything down the river. But my question first to Hida is, do these travel in packs? Should we expect another? Can that be a Shadowlands roll? To know exactly that what that would be. 14. Uh, no, as far as you're aware, they are solitary creatures, normally specifically summoned by what are called Maho Sukai, or blood magic users. Well, we know that there's at least one giant warhorse in the village. Yes. That and some rope, we might be able to take care of this problem. And traditionally, Hida would know this as well. Generally, bodies like this are burned to be removed. Actually, as a matter of fact, all bodies in Rokugan, even of samurai, are burned. They don't bury bodies because of a very, very sad moment in history. Yep. As are all samurai stories. <laughs> yeah. This must be dealt with with the utmost expedience. Before we move forward, though, I am concerned for your health, Miramoto. I appreciate your concern, and I would submit to your wisdom. Give me one moment, and we shall we shall tend to your wound. So I would like to use uh, regrow. The Do you think he'll bot? Yeah, wonderful. As a as a curative spell. Now, uh, spellcasting in L5R, is it Vancian casting? What's, uh, what can he do? What's actually happening is he is speaking with all of the kami, which infuse everything, the air, the rock. I didn't know what Vancian casting was at that time. Never heard that term (laughs) Ah. before. I just went over to an explanation. And that's what's going on. And when you fail a roll, you messed up something and said, and they just sort of ignored you. Right. And bad cases turn on you. I'm just uh, concerned about uh, conservation of resources. Uh, 
is healing me now going to prevent healing later, perhaps at a critical moment? Or mm, that sounds like a group discussion. Does, does, does there, there are there are limits on the number of spells as you get mentally fatigued throughout the day dealing with them. I'm not taxing my spells per day at this point. Okay. So, well, let me make the roll first before I... Which succeeds. It's a level one spell. Right. Um, and how that particular spell works is you gain three hit points every round as long as you remain con- uh, concentrated on it. Outside of combat, it's really easy. It's almost a full heal. Because he badly can... designed spell. <laughs> It's a water spell, it's correct? I did say that I love this system, right? Yeah. Would I be allowed to actually put my hand on Miramoto's shoulder for the casting of oh, the certainly. spell? For, for, for medical reasons. Yeah, so I mean, that, yeah, it, I would react yeah. to it happening, but you would probably give me a look that's like, yeah. this needs to happen. If it's a water spell, too, maybe you could use the water of the river. I was have... just getting to that. <laughs> Michael interjected himself <laughs> in places he doesn't belong. All right, you do you, okay? You do you. I'll do me. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Hida would pause for a moment and uh, speak some prayer words under his breath. Uh, he would reach out a hand towards Miramoto's shoulder, um, very, not tentatively, but gently, softly place it on, on his shoulder. And with his other hand, he would make a motion and, above the water, almost like he was grabbing a cup of water, mm-hmm. but he's not actually grabbing the water. Instead, you see a, a light blue, um, water-like, very fluid spiritual energy kind of scoop up uh, and, again, swirl around you like the flames did a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you would immediately feel a, a sense of cool calmness and restorative properties sweep over your body, and you would feel all the fatigue of battle leave you. Yeah, so is this going to heal me back to full? Full health, yep. Look all at right. that. So little bloodshed. Fantastic. So, now, you have been healed. I even emphasize the fact of how little damage you all took. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> resides on the, the, the makeshift dam, as it were. And everything else is quiet. From my experience, these foul, tainted creatures do not act on their own. These are typically the hands of a larger mind. Then that would align with my suspicions. It is quite possible, since we have seen something causing this diversion of the river forcibly, that whoever did that summoned this creature as its servant. Solid logic. The matter at hand should be to remove the creature from the river. Agreed. I, I believe the majority of the spider clan would frown upon the use of dark creatures to gain political favor. Every word, <laughs> every word with an upward inflection. Creature could then have his word disregarded. Yes. But consider carefully where we stand, Miramoto. It is a very delicate bridge that we walk, yes. I fear that if we abandon our pursuit at this moment, we may be too weak in our statements. Indeed. We should not begin presenting the evidence that we have discovered here right away. What we should do is move this body as to not corrupt the river and try to discover some sort of compelling proof. So, again, reliving this game, there are certain things that are sticking out to me differently than before and blah, blah, blah. And I kind of feel like the whole dealing with the Oni and the river thing is distracting a little bit because we we had this great moment, we killed it, 
And then we obviously we talked about mechanics. We had to heal. And so there's like a five minute conversation. I, I almost wonder, so was the Oni dying at the end in the river intentional because you wanted us to, to do, excuse me, to do that? Or did is this just something that kind of happened, you know, not necessarily a master plan? It had a purpose that didn't end up needing to be done. Uh, the Oni in the River, o- original my thought on the Oni in the River is I was going to use it, it was going to be a ticking clock that I could use. Because what would occur is, and I forget which one of you all, but one of you all figured out, probably all three of you did, that, you know, hey, this giant tainted creature that's in the water supply is probably not a good thing for the town. So the ticking clock was then going to be a, okay, once the crab realized that there is a big problem with their water, it becomes a, we need to resolve this now. And that is my third act, how I force you all to make a decision is, okay, they're now going to go to war because everyone in the town is getting poisoned because this thing still hasn't been resolved yet. And that was the the intention of it. Um, you you are right. I mean, you all sort of go on a, on a little distraction here with it. But I'm, I'm okay with it to a degree because the big things uh, are, are what uh, Caleb actually ju- just went through, Hida, which is he reinforced where we are, which is okay. Whoever summoned this thing is the one who's responsible for it. Now we, we've got a little bit of solid information. We've got good sound logic, we believe, which is someone summoned this demon. The demon created the dam. Whoever summoned the demon is the one who damned the river and's in the wrong. So A plus B equals C. A plus B equals C. Yep, you all have gotten that figured out yet. And you know that you need to go and figure the next step out, which is who summoned this thing. But you do have this problem that you logically want to deal with. So because you all are still very much on on task of you all are feeling and thinking the right things and going the right direction, giving a little time to address this thing because it makes sense, you know, you all are the other thing is on that, you all are totally in character doing this. You're, you're not thinking at it from a player standpoint of like a, okay, well, if we move that, then I'm going to get a plus two on my next combat. You all are 100% thinking in character and thinking about the narrative and the structure of the world. I don't ever want to step on that. Uh, I want to curate every now and then if it slows us down too much, but I don't want to step on that because now you all are getting truly fully immersed in what's going on. Just sort of thinking like in my DM and style, like, for example, let's say that there's a, like a wagon that's stuck in the mud. I probably would be like, you spend some time, you figure it out. The wagon's now unstuck. We don't have that here. You, nope. you, We go through the process <laughs> uh, figuring out how to do this the right way. We didn't just bypass it, which made me think that it was probably intentional. But I wasn't sure because it, it felt like it was a slowdown from the game. But again, that's not really a... Positive or negative, it's just no, an observation. It's an observation, yeah. And and it's it's a completely valid observation. Part of it is also, of course, there is, and I honestly, my memory fades me, and, and we're talking about this beforehand, so I don't have the advantage of going like, all right, what actually happened? But there, of course, there is a really, really big thing in L5R about touching bodies. Uh, you're never, ever supposed to touch bodies. Specifically, this one, you could possibly get corrupted. If my memory serves me, I think you maybe shoot an arrow into it and pull it out. That was, yeah, I think I shoot three is, arrows. Is that what like, actually like, I harpoon it, and then we use the... At least I proposed that idea. I don't remember if we use it, but I think we do. So I wanted to see what you all were going to do because if you did actually touch the body, you know, it results in an honor loss for you and we get that mechanical side of it. So there is a little bit to that. Um, But no, you're absolutely right. It is a slowdown. And uh, the other thing that I should talk about is uh, some slowdowns are good too, especially, you know, 
not everything can be high paced all action all the time. You know, we just had a big combat encounter. Now we go to a low note. We go into a down note. Now I didn't really plan for y'all to spend this much time talking about it and doing it, but we did it and we went through and we were in character and it was great. Yeah, I think that's kind of the key for me is that that we were in character. If yep. we were out of character, probably would have fast forwarded through it a little bit. There's faster. a really great scene in episode three where we're gonna discuss that. <laughs> to back up the suspicions that now reside in our hearts. My thought would be if we could divert the river by moving the rocks, whoever came to inspect that would be the one that would be looking for what they found. Mm -hmm. Indeed, I believe if we were to move the river at the present time, we would perhaps win an enemy who now only bubbles beneath the surface, so to speak. Phrasing. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you. However, I must make the observation that the three of us may not be able to bend our backs to moving such a foul creature. Should the Crab Clan discover this dam, hostility would nigh instantly appear. Very true. We need minds as cool and rational as ours. You two are native to this place. Do you know of anyone who might lend us aid or a sympathetic ear? The only one that is really familiar is, of course, Haruma, and the Mm -hmm. person you are most associated with more than anyone is Daigotsu Jin. So you did not want us to introduce an NPC at that point, because, no. So there was a little bit of, okay, that that was a, okay, we're not going this far down this route. Yep. Um, That's going to take us way off course. We have to introduce an NPC, bring them. Yeah. So I could, as soon as I heard you talking, like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. So that that that's a little bit of that. Like, okay, we can we can go some with it, but we're not going too far into this world. Yep. Fortunately, you do not, on a personal level, know any of the other crab samurai here. Obviously, you all have met um, Yasuki Fujito, but the three of you all have the same amount of interaction with him at this stage. Right. Perhaps it would be wise to simply increase speed on our investigation so that we may come to a definitive conclusion and then resolve... Almost like it was a clock. ...area as we resolve other matters. Would Uh, it be possible for us to manipulate both the crab and the spider to find the dam at the same moment so that they would see the oni and realize what is happening... That could be a clever plan. Let's talk about that <laughs> moment particularly. Okay. <laughs> this is actually probably part of the legitimate reason I also let this scene go on as long as it did. Because the moment you said that sentence, I had a figurative jaw drop. Okay. Because I immediately went, I go, this is our ending of our story. Right here, right now. This is where Jim's mind was. This final duel between Haruma and Morimoto is now going to happen at this dam, them each standing on a stone or something like that in the river. And now, immediately, I've changed from the crab camp to it's going to happen here at the dam because I thought that was such a brilliant plan and I was so hoping you all would go with it. I immediately start retooling all of my thoughts I have for the final duel and the setting and all of that to this wonderful dam duel that we are now going to have between them. So as soon as you said that, my GM brain starts kicking in and going, okay, the ending has changed again because of the players. And that's, again, we've, we've hit it to death, but I just want to hit it one more time. 
the way to do a linear story is to still adapt to what the players are doing and their decisions and their results are what change and affect the story. I'm always driving towards something, but the players are constantly changing what that something is and that something needs to be fulfilling based on their actions. So as soon as you said that, I was like, this is great. It's so much better. It's so much more scenic. And once again, we don't end up there, yeah. but that is that is where the GM's mind is at that moment. Right. So, so I have a question for you, and this and this may be out of place if you want to move this question somewhere else in the series if you think it would fit better. So you've said multiple times that that your goal coming into this mm-hmm. was that my character and James's character were going to have a duel. Mm-hmm. Based on what I know, limited amount of that I know about mechanics in L5R, James would have killed me. Like, I don't think Haruma had a chance in hell at winning that. So why did that? Why were you going to a place that I would not win? <laughs> Again, if you think that's something we should like, maybe lay like at the end of the game. If you think it's a better place for that conversation, uh, let's let, go ahead and leave that in this section here. Um, but I'm not going to fully answer you because okay. I I want you to have that thought in your mind because. Let's talk about that from a GM advice standpoint, because there was something specifically prepared for that, because you're absolutely right. I helped you all build the character sheets. I don't even think you had the dueling skill, did you? I don't think so. Uh, if, if you did, it was low, and, and James's character was 50% built around dueling. So, like, he would win a duel with you without question. So we're going to posit a question, then we'll get back to it. You, GMs listening out there right now, you run into this situation where you are setting up, or perhaps by happenstance it occurs, where two people are going to fight, all the dice rolls are going to be out in the open because it's all player-basing dice rolls. How do you even that up? How do you make that an interesting story? And ultimately, small spoilers, you two do not end up dueling at the end of this. But uh, once we get to the moment where that's not going to happen, which is going to be probably in our last episode of, of the Part 1 series here, I'll tell you exactly what I had in mind for why it would have uh, why it would have worked out on it. Or why it would have been, I think, definitely interesting, to say the least. Um, but yes, there was a specific plan in mind, and I'll let all the GMs out there right now just sort of think and ponder to themselves what they think they would have done to, uh, to even that out. Oh, very cool. Though I do fear if they came upon it in the same moment, instantly both sides would draw their own conclusions and... Yes, they would. ...their ground firmly. Yes, they yeah. would. Perhaps. Party pooper. <laughs> I even said it, didn't I? I, we were I, I got really excited for a ridiculous scene I didn't think <laughs> yeah. of. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't even tell you what it was, but yeah. yeah. Duel. Have it approved and until this is the spot. So that everyone would have to come and watch at the same moment. You even suggested the duel. Together at the same time. Uh, yes. Uh, Plan B? (laughs) (laughs) I believe there are many things in the realm of planning that are not immediately apparent. So the motto is just like, this is the worst plan ever and I can't say that. Yeah. (laughs) Plan C, got you. I'm with you. I'm checking up what you're throwing down. To your knowledge, would this creature bleeding into the river cause a great deal of harm, or would we be safe in dealing with our problems first? I see fish is already starting to like bubble up. The uh, horrible fish monsters. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not that bad, but uh, Hida, of course, you you are very experienced with this side of it, and and you would know that generally anything that gets corrupted, uh, especially when it gets into things like water supplies that supply the town, are generally a very very bad thing. Again, a 
piece of lore that there's no reason to make a player roll for. It's needed, simple, give it to them. Situation where that might be warranted? It's almost like there's a crisis between what you're supposed to do and what you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> the, the reality is touching any dead body is dishonorable by a samurai. They never touch dead bodies. But, but the, the fact of the matter at this point is uh, we're weighing personal honor versus human lives. Honor demands that we protect those around us, and the higher honor always prevails. And we are responsible for ourselves. And if we take an action that, as detestable as it may be, is dishonorable to us, we are in fact helping our fellow man. We yes. can seek atonement. They cannot preserve themselves for that which they do not know is occurring. Indeed. It would cause much strife if we were to abandon our duties, and that's what it would be if we simply allowed this to continue to corrupt the river. But also what separates us from the beast is our minds, and perhaps there is a solution that will allow us to keep faith and, and solve the problem. there is the sharpness of mind which I referred to earlier. I do believe this is a good course of action. So, do we have any rope? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, one question is, I have armor-piercing arrows. Mm -hmm. Do I think I could just, like, porcupine this thing with four different arrows, tie the rope to the arrows, and then pull out the only with never actually touching the creature? Mm -hmm. I think you sounds like you're interested in trying. I sure am. I don't know what happens. The dice have to tell us that. <laughs> Liar. Ah. <laughs> so full of shit. So, so, so then we go in the other direction and be like, I don't really want this to happen, but I can make them roll for it. Yeah. That way I don't have to tell them no. To okay. try and do this. So literally, now you don't get the benefits of your, uh, uh, you know, attack stances or anything, because okay. that's only combat, but you'd be making a skill roll straight using your kaijutsu. And of course, always remember, if it's something that is very important to you, you can spend a void point to add 1k1 to any roll. Gotcha. So to the group, is this what we want to try first? So that we can... Do, do we have rope is right. my first question. Uh, Generally speaking, I mean, you all would have... L5R, have whatever you want. The reality is, with a samurai, you have whatever you want. Oh, great. Um, hey, we've got lots of rope. Literally, if, if you want, obviously now it should have been brought with you, but traveler's packs that you said that you brought all your supplies, they normally have tents. Tents would have ropes to, to tie them up, so I see that as completely legitimate. The reality is, if you're in town, you say, I want a tea set, and someone runs and gets you a tea set. Um, and that's just how it's done. The great thing about being samurai. You just kind of shout out. Yes, I want this. It doesn't matter what land you're in, you get it. So I want a llama. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful that I laugh at myself. I think I'm hilarious. It's <laughs> good. How did I not put a llama in part two? Using one of the trees, uh, would that add to a role? Is that just flavor? Um, I, I I like inventiveness. The mm -hmm. system doesn't add, but I can certainly reduce the TN of what needs to be done. Ah, there we go. Do you have any magic? All bullshit. <laughs> use the force, Luke. Just pull it out. Like if only you were a void Shugenja, then you get to use the force and Seriously? be a psychic and a time traveler. Man. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> void Shugenja the best. <laughs> the best. You gave me that option you too. Want to be a Jedi to... psychic time traveler. I mean, that's amazing. I turned down that option. That's, oh. that's on me. That's on you. I'm sorry, fellas. That's my he, bad. If this was a regular D and D campaign, we would ride that only down the river <laughs> and just walk, walk going to shore, rowing it like a boat. That's why L five R is such a good. Uh, it, it flies in the face of trope. That's right. Okay. So, do you have anything you can aid me? If not, I will. I will take my shot. And see not, what happens. I, I don't have any spells that would mechanically aid a, a skill roll at this point. Okay. So, 
That's a 9, 8, 17, plus 6, 23. Ah, but, oh, that's a 1. Um, do you have emphasis in your bell? I do. Uh, you can get to reroll ones, then. Okay. Reroll that one. Sounds like we need it. We need a lot of mechanics for a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for what now seems like so inconsequential. Yeah. And you're trying to do multiple arrows, is that yeah. right? Yeah, like just three or four down along its body to give us lots of... You stick them one, two, three, and you tug on the ropes a couple times, and they, they feel like they're in there pretty good. So the three of you are going to try and drag this thing up? Yep. Yeah. All right. What you're each going to do is roll a straight strength roll, or athletics if you have the skill. Someone has athletics. Maybe not. It's certainly not me. I have I athletics. <laughs> yep. Or he's got athletics. Otherwise, you're rolling a straight strength roll. It is not an unskilled roll, so your die will explode if you get tens. Oh, yes. I'm not rolling well. Woohoo! Well, you did the hard part with the errors. It sounds like the rest of your compatriots are doing the heavy lifting. I am small. I mean, it's not like I've also always been an idea man, (laughs) more than an executor. I only needed a one to hit the 50. Um, And with that, (laughs) you all drag it, and you heave this thing. Your arrows stick. Uh, Actually, yours, as you're almost to the shore, it slips out, and you sort of fall backwards. Um, But the other two finish dragging out, and you roll its body on shore. Um, of course, you 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 see the, the the blood, and you get it far enough away so it's not going into the water. Um, when, once you get up on shore, of course, you can see it a little bit closer. the The faces in it are still swirling some, but you just sort of seeing them fading. And actually, they go up through the throat and out through the hole, and you just see them sort of float up to the sky. It um, wasn't even dead yet. We could have totally touched it. And, and I guess there's no Purell in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> okay, so I think we're going to go ahead and end episode three there. We're about halfway through episode two of the series. Uh, so we finished the battle. We had a long conversation about how to get it out of the water. There was a lot of talk about mechanics. There was a lot of talk about the lore. We sort of re reinforced the differences between this game and other games and the honor and all that kind of good stuff. So the kind of the next thing we do, we start investigating the body. You had already told us that there was a crab mon on it. Now, again, spoilers, we know who the bad guy is already. Uh, as I alluded to in earlier episodes, it really didn't matter. It could have been a dragon mon. It could have been a crab mon. Either way, it works because you could have, you know, Daigotsu could have said, hey, you, come here. You're volunteering for something. But you could also have them killing the crab. So we're just going to talk briefly about what we're going to see next episode. Uh, we're going to finish the investigation Caleb's going to call forth some kami. What were you wanting to accomplish by having, like, why was it a crab and not a dragon? Like, what was your thought process? Um, what, there, there's a specific reason for it, and that is we are, we're still following our dual stacking plot. And the last big chip that got dropped on it was, oh, Daigotsu Jin is an evil asshole. Clearly, I'm going to guess it's the evil asshole that did it. Like, yeah, I mean, you know... Solid logic there, right? 60-40. <laughs> so what we need to do is we need to we need to drop a, a chip back on the other side of it. You know, that that is quite possibly, you know, it, it very much still could be the crab responsible for it. So to do that, what I did, which did not land well, actually, um, was I went, you know, this is a crab samurai, okay? So you all correctly connected all of the dots, Okay, we correctly connected that, okay, whoever summoned this thing is responsible for moving the river. I go, great, exactly what I want to connect them. Let me reinforce to them that this is a once crab samurai. Whoever brought it forth did it. 
crab samurai, okay? Now, you all didn't bite on that for a logical reason. You go, well, the evil guy could have turned the crab samurai, right? Uh, but that's the reason it was crab. Uh, the specific reason was I was trying to put a chip, and the chip wasn't quite heavy enough. So I'm going to then spend the next couple scenes continuing to add chips to that side of it. Because I know the scales are still so far tipped in the other direction. So that was the reason it is what it is. Now, again, I tried to do something that I thought was going to work, and it didn't. What I was expecting was was one of you all, uh, you know, sort of to come in with the, like, well... It's a crab samurai, so could it have been that the crab are messing around with dark magic? No one bit on that whatsoever. So we're going to continue continue stacking chips the other, you know, on that side until it feels like the stacks are about even. Uh, so that was the reason behind it. Okay, and and we will see how you do so uh, as we start episode four with the second half of this part. Episode two of part one. There's so many pieces and parts. It's going to be confusing. Uh, when we start to investigate the body, I believe Caleb's character uh, calls forth some Kami, uh, and we uh, we have our first experience with Kami as well. Do we do? And and we, we've seemingly been checking in at the end of every episode of, of where the GM's That's mind right. is. Where is Jim's mind right now? Which I, I kind of said it before, so I won't dwell on it too long. But at, at right now, the GM's mind is that this story ends with. We're, the duel on the river. <laughs> this duel, this story ends with Haruma versus Morimoto in a duel. Morimoto is dueling for the crab. Haruma is dueling for the spider. Uh, a spider, and it happens at the dam. That is that is where the mentality is at this moment. Awesome. Well, Jim, thank you as always for your time. I'm Certainly. really enjoying the series and reliving our, our return to Rokugan. Hopefully people listening are as well. So until then, this has been Michael. This has been Jim. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. 
And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.